Good morning, everybody. Great to see you today. Great to be here, isn't it? Great to be here. What a, what a great job our team does week in and week out. This is a character building day, you know, uh, with daylight savings time and the, the nine o'clock uh, group. Uh, and, you know, so our, so our singers and everybody got here to go to work probably at what's really five o'clock this morning. And I'm stunned, you know, they get, I'm trying to figure out how to not have to come today. And I show up and they're just bringing it. And anyway, I wasn't really trying to figure out how not to come, but I, I can't tell you that I'm a fan of whoever decided we should lose an hour on a day like today. Um, great to see everybody. So glad for everybody that's joined us online. If we haven't met, my name's Terry Smith. I'm the lead pastor here at the Life Christian Church. And I'm going to bring you just a real straightforward Bible teaching today. I can't think uh, of a more dramatic or interesting way to start than with these words from the Gospel of John. John chapter 6, verse 53, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Can you imagine standing in a Jewish synagogue around 30 AD as a faithful Jew and hearing a young Jewish rabbi tell you to eat his flesh and drink his blood? It's no wonder that his crowd of followers dwindled very quickly from a crowd, as we'll learn, of more than 5,000 people to a crowd of uh, 12 or so people in a matter of a few moments. It's like our pre-COVID crowds versus our present crowds. Uh, but let's be honest. Even 2,000 years later, these words from Jesus are difficult to hear particularly outside of their larger and, and accurate context. Except we eat his flesh and drink his blood, Jesus said. We have no life in us. That's an enormous statement and an enormously important statement. And I am going to spend my time today trying to explain what it meant. Now, at the end of this teaching, we're going to celebrate the sacrament of communion. We're going to remember the body of Jesus broken for us and his blood shed for us. And we're going to do this after having discussed the relationship between eating these unleavened crackers and drinking the juice of the grape with what Jesus said about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And of course, we're going to focus during our communion time on uh, the invitation Jesus gives us in this to receive his life. Now, as most of you know, during the Lenten season, we've been teaching about the story of Jesus and particularly how John in his gospel told us that Jesus explains God to us. John chapter 1, verse 18. So uh, in order to, to learn the story of Jesus and learn what Jesus explains to us about God, we've been focusing each week during Lent 
on a particular story or a section of Scripture in the Gospel of John. And today's focus is John chapter 6. I just read you the last few verses. The eat my flesh, drink my flood part, blood part is the last part of this story in John chapter 6. But to get to that, I need to go back to the beginning of John chapter 6 and tell you about a couple things that are happening here that lead up to these controversial words that Jesus offered. The first thing is that by this time in his ministry, Jesus had a huge crowd that was following him. And he was, uh, he was uh, teaching around the Sea of Galilee, or what's sometimes called the Lake of Tiberias in the New Testament. And one particular day, he has a huge crowd following him, but he goes and he sits down surrounded by his disciples and then presumably by well, we were sure, several thousand other people. And then there's an important little uh, interjection in the text that helps us understand a lot about what's about to happen. It's where in John chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Everything else we hear in this story has to be understood in with with it being in our minds that the Jewish Passover festival was near and all of these Jews who were following Jesus, who they looked at as 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 a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, all of them had Passover on the brain, okay? And then Jesus looks at this huge crowd and he knows that they're hungry and he decides that he's gonna feed them and he takes five small barley loaves and five small, the text emphasizes, small fish, and he distributes those uh, that bread and those fish to more than 5,000 people. You're familiar with that story. And it was such an amazing thing. John always used the word sign instead of miracle. So it's such an amazing sign to all these people or miracle that they decided they wanted to take Jesus and make him king by force. And when Jesus knew that they wanted to make him king, he slipped away and went up into uh, on the mountain someplace by himself. Well, the crowds left there uh, satiated, uh, full, uh, and But the disciples, it seems, not knowing where Jesus had gone, decided that they would get in a boat and they would cross the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum, which had become the headquarters of their ministry. It's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, early last year when Sharon and I hosted uh, a, a, a trip to Israel for a number of folks who are part of the Life Christian Church, one of the things we did is visited Capernaum and actually spent time in the ruins, Andrea, of that synagogue that the teaching I'm about to offer actually happened in. Anyway, uh, it's just amazing. So uh, we're thinking about going next spring if you want to come. So um, this is not a public service announcement. I'm trying to t- just teach, but it occurs to me that I'm thinking about that. So um, where was I? On the Sea of Galilee. So they get in a boat and they, they row, the text tells us, some three or four miles, 
And it's night now. It's the day. It's the evening of the feeding of the 5,000. And a storm comes up and they're frightened. And then they see someone walking on the water and they're even more frightened. But they hear the voice of Jesus saying, it is I, don't be afraid. And then the text says they were willing to take him into the boat. It's kind of interesting. Before, I don't know what they were going to do with him. But when they heard his voice, they were willing to take him to the boat. He gets in the boat, and then there's this time travel thing that happens where the boat instantly appears on the seashore by Capernaum, where Jesus then, I guess they must sleep that night, Jesus then the next day begins to, to teach in the synagogue at Capernaum. Well, the crowd that had been fed woke up the next morning and it appears were interested in breakfast and the, the, the food multiplier couldn't be found and somehow or another they got intelligence that a boat with disciples, Jesus' disciples, had taken off across the lake, and these guys now, more than 5,000 people find boats and start uh, boating across the lake. It's the Jesus flotilla. You just have to imagine how many boats that must have been, but they go looking for Jesus. And this is where the, we'll pick up the text, John 6, 22. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. I love that language. Why, why did they go and search for Jesus? Well, it appears it's because they were hungry. And they were thinking about the bread and fish. Now, Jesus was about to tell them that what they actually needed to do was to feed on him, and that if they fed on him, they would have everything they needed for life itself. Begs the question, why are we here? Are we here because we're searching for Jesus? And, and if we would say we're here searching for Jesus, what is it exactly that we're hoping he will do for us? A lot of times we'll show up or we'll watch for a lot of reasons. And many times it's because we have needs in our lives that need to be met, and that's okay. But ultimately what Jesus wants to give us first and foremost is himself. Because when we receive him, we really get everything we need for life. As John said early in his gospel, life was in him. Life was in him. Life that made sense of human existence. So he, one thing we learn about the, the, the feeding of the 5,000 is that Jesus was concerned about people's physical hunger. There needs to be an assumption that Jesus is concerned about our needs being met. He is concerned. He told us to pray for daily bread. However, Ultimately, he knows that he wants to give us more than that. The, the physical bread is secondary to, 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 to what we really need. He wants to feed more than our stomach. He wants to feed our souls. And so we need to understand that whatever we came supposedly looking for Jesus and whatever it is we're wanting him to do, that what he wants to give us is himself. And that's what we learn here in the text I'm going to focus on for the rest of my time today. Let me organize this lengthy and complicated text that I'll read through and teach through at least some into four big words. And the four big words are bread, flesh, blood, and spirit. Bread, flesh, blood, 
and spirit. So let's talk about the first part. Let's talk about bread. And the part of the text that, that we'll cover first is John 6, 25 through 40. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him. You get who they are, right? They're the people that were fed the 5,000 who boated now across the lake. And they find him. He's teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered very truly, or some translations say, Amen, Amen. I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed or the miracle, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So you understand now that he that they're looking for breakfast. And then he says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Again, he identifies himself as he has earlier in the Gospel of John, if you've been tracking, as the Son of Man, which referred both to his humanity and his divinity. Old Testament prophets said that the nations would bow before the Son of Man. He declares again that he's that guy. For on him, the Son of Man, the Father, has placed his seal of approval. Then they ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they ask him, what sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Now initially they show up um, politely saying, where have you been? And um, essentially, where's breakfast? Now they're getting the sense that they're not about to have, you know, I don't know, bagels distributed to 5,000 people, bagels and locks distributed to 5,000 people. They're getting this in their mind. Now they get a little adversarial and they say, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So now they're going to say, all right, you're calling yourself the son of man. If you're all that, remember Moses gave us bread every day. What's their concern? They're hungry. Moses showed up every day. Now, you gave us bread yesterday. Show us. I guess it sounds right to say show us the meat, but that's not what they were asking. Well, maybe, yeah. Show us the meat. Where's the beef? I can't even remember the old commercial. Give, give us food. And Jesus said to them very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Again, what are they thinking they're about to get? Physical bread. Then Jesus declared, I'm sure, to their great disappointment, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. They're hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. A couple of observations on that section of the text. First of all, I like this idea that Jesus says, uh, work hard. He says, he says, essentially, you really worked hard to get here. Imagine what it took 
for them to go across the Lake of Galilee, find boats, find them in Capernaum teaching in the synagogue. They're standing there, it's still relatively early in the morning, and they're sweaty and tired and hungry. And Jesus says, I know that you really worked hard to get here, but I want you to work hard not for the food that spoils, John 6, 27, so quickly, but for the food that stays with you so long, stays with you into deep, lasting life, the food that the Son of Man will get you. So he's saying, you're looking for food, but I can give you life itself. And it's important to come back, I think, as I have every week that, that I've taught during this Lenten season to the, to the idea that when Jesus in, in the Gospel of John talks about life, he's using it in a way that's synonymous with the word salvation in the other Gospels. And I just want to remind you that the life Jesus is offering is a particular kind of life. The Greek word translated life here is zoe. And zoe means life as God has it in himself. And that term is used in contrast to the Greek word bios, which has to do with biology, which has to do with the existence of a thing. It has to do with physicality. Jesus is saying, I didn't, I'm not just interested in giving you bread so that you can exist. I'm interested in giving you bread so you can live. I'm not interested in giving you bread just so you can get through today. I'm interested in giving you bread that will help you make sense of life. I'm not interested just in giving you bread that will fill your stomach and get you to tomorrow. I'm interested in giving you bread that will allow you to have life that will go on into eternity. He's offering them more than what they even know they need. And you can understand, though, their human disappointment. We're hungry, and Jesus stands there, and he's all esoteric and says, I am the bread of life. And then they say, okay, well, then what's the, what works should we do in order to have this bread? And Jesus answers. So, so again, he said, you worked really hard to get here to get bread to feed your physical stomach. Now I want you to work now to get bread that will lead you into eternal life. And I'm that bread. And they said, well, what do we need to do then? Uh, John 6, 28, they ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this. It's really simple. To believe in the one he has sent. Or as Frederick Dale Bruner's translation says, this is the work of God, that you trust the one that is sent. It's really this simple. It's to believe in Jesus. He says, you don't need to get all sweaty through your human effort to have the bread of life. You just need to believe that I am who I say I am, and I can give you what I tell you I'm going to give you. Simply believe. To which I say, how do we receive the bread of life? Simply believe. Then Jesus declared, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then in, in 640, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. By the way, when Jesus talks about life, this Zoe thing we're talking about, a lot of times it's connected to the Greek word that's translated eternal. So it's eternal life. 
But it's important to note that when Jesus talks about eternal life, he's not just talking about something that's going to occur in the future, after our death and then resurrection from the dead. When Jesus is talking about even eternal life, he's talking about bringing that future reality into present experience. Eternal life, we receive eternal life when we believe in Jesus. It's not something we get in the future, it's something we have now. I mean, what did Paul say to the Romans in one place? He said, he said, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you now. We receive eternal life the moment we truly believe in Jesus. All right, so let's go to the second word. The second word is flesh. You guys doing okay? You know, I, I like to, well, okay, that's nice. You know, typically, as most of you have heard me teach, some of you for 30 years know, I like to tell lots of stories and illustrations, and today I've decided I just really can't do any better than just the, the actual story. So, so uh, I'm sorry if, if my approach might be a little pedantic today, but I just want, it just doesn't get any better than just saying, here's what happened, here's what Jesus said, and as much as I can understand, here's what it means. We'll get to the here's what it means in, in a little bit. Give me, you know, two or three hours and I'll explain all of this to you. The second word is flesh. John chapter 6 verse 41. I actually had someone tell me this week, I shouldn't tell you someone told me this, but they told me this week, somebody new to the church, obviously, because somebody old would never say anything like this, that they like to come to the 11 o'clock service because they've heard that I preach a little longer in the 11 o'clock service, and they actually come because of that. Their wife is saying, let's go to 9 o'clock, and this guy, <laughs> anyway, all right. At this, what I've just said to you, the Jews began there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus the son of Joseph whose father and mother we know? How can he now say I came down from heaven? To which Jesus, which is a, a logical thing to say, to which Jesus said, stop grumbling, grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. Very truly, amen, amen, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. He said, if you want that kind of bread, you can have it, but you know, you threw your ancestors in my face. They're dead. Now I'm going to give you bread that's going to let you live forever. Here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Now he's going to up the ante when he says, this bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So he's referring now to the fact that he's going to offer his flesh or his body in sacrifice for the world. Another theme in the Gospel of John is that Jesus is God incarnate, or Jesus is the enfleshment of God. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. John chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now Jesus, drawing on that reality, is going to let them know that he is going to offer his flesh as a sacrifice for the whole world, which now causes us to see why it's important that what he's saying, he's saying in the context of the Passover. 
Remember that? John chapter 6, verse 4. John lets us know, kind of, you know, the, 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 the trailer before the movie. Uh, the, the, now, everything you're about to see happens as the Jewish Passover is about to take place. So the primary elements of the Passover meal for uh, the Jews, particularly that time, were bread, and he's called himself the bread of life, the flesh of a Passover lamb that had been slain, and wine. And Jesus is slowly unraveling the fact that he is going to become the Passover sacrifice, that he's going to be the bread of the Passover meal, that he's going to be the lamb that served at the Passover meal. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, for Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. Now, you guys remember what Passover is all about, I would imagine. Passover began when the Jews were yet in Egypt, and Moses was in the process of delivering them from Egypt, and there were nine plagues where God's trying to get Pharaoh to let his people go. And finally, there came the tenth plague. It was a plague to the Egyptians. It was a blessing to the Jews, because what God said to the Jews is, take a lamb and sacrifice the lamb, and take the blood of the lamb, and put it over the doorpost of where you live, and when the death angel comes, he will pass over you. Now the death angel went on and didn't pass over the households that didn't have the blood of the lamb applied to the doorpost. And so, uh, from, from, so initially the blood of the lamb was to be completely drained from the lamb and put on the doorpost. The flesh of the lamb was to be eaten. Well, uh, later the blood of the lamb would be taken and to be poured out as a, as a, as a sacrifice to God at the altar or anyway. It was, it was not something that was to be used in any way except as offered to God. Well, now Jesus, when he says, when he talks now about his flesh being offered for the world, he's referring to the flesh of the Passover lamb. You might remember that when John the Baptist introduced Jesus, all the way back in John chapter 1, he introduced Jesus as the lamb of God who had come to take away the sin of the world. And now Jesus is saying, I'm going to give my flesh for the sins of the world. Let's talk about the third word. I'll try to pull this together in a few minutes. Let's talk about blood then. Then the Jews, John 6, 52, began to argue sharply among themselves. It's interesting how quickly this story's moving. They show up searching for Jesus. <laughs> we found you. Hey, this is great. Where have you been? Well, I know you're here looking for me because you want to be fed. I'm the bread of life. They start to grumble among themselves. <laughs> well, a bunch of hungry people. And now then he says, oh, and by the way, the bread that I give is the flesh that I offer for the world. Now they move from, where have you been? To now they're starting to argue among themselves. Sharp, in fact, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and now he's going to up the ante again, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. So it's one thing, crazy enough, for them to hear Jesus, this young Jewish rabbi, standing there saying, I'm the bread of life. All right? Now, he says, oh, and the bread that I give is the flesh that I give for the, on behalf of the world. Okay, what do you guys think? Ah, just a, they're arguing among themselves. And over there arguing sharply among themselves. And oh, by the way, I want you to eat my flesh. And I want you to drink my blood. Well, of course, for Jews, this was blasphemous. Because when he talked about drinking blood... He's pulling up 4,000 years of associations around this. You know that Jews were forbidden from ingesting the blood of an animal. You, you know that uh, even before Abraham, uh, God said to Noah, Genesis 9-4, you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood in it. And then through Moses, God says, this is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. You must not eat any fat or any blood. You're aware that kosher cuisine was about developing elaborate techniques to make sure no blood contaminated the meat that faithful Jews could eat. Even the apostles in the New Testament were so attuned to the sensitivities around this to their Jewish brothers and sisters that they recommended, didn't require, but recommended to Gentile brothers and sisters that they not eat meat that had blood in it. Uh, Acts chapter 15, 29. This is New Testament. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals. Why strangled animals? What was the problem with that? Because the kosher uh, cuisine had to have the blood of an animal completely drained from it. They weren't allowed to eat the blood of an animal and sexual immorality. You're supposed to abstain from that. You would do well to avoid these things. And these are pretty big things. So, so you have to understand now that when Jesus is standing in a synagogue, this guy standing there, and he says, I'm the bread of life. You have to eat my flesh, and you have to drink my blood. This now goes totally off the rails, and this is what takes this crowd of 5,000 and makes us a crowd of about 12, because he's telling them to eat his blood. Now, why is he telling them to eat his blood or drink his blood? You understand it would have been fine if he said, or not fine, it would still have been a little confusing. I am the bread of life, the bread that I give is the flesh I give for the world, and oh, I want you to take the blood and I want you to pour it out on the ground. But he says, I want you to drink my blood. Why? Because the life is in the blood. See? And all of history has been working to this point where blood was so sacred because it had its life, the life of the animal in it, that you'd pour it on the ground. But all of history has moved to the point where God showed up on the planet and says, I don't want you to pour life on the ground. I want you to receive life. I came to give you life, more and better life than you ever dreamed of, which is a Gospel of John passage. So Jesus says, I want you to ingest me. 
We all know the life is in the blood. Literally, oxygen flows through our body through the blood. And Jesus says, the life that I have in me, I am going to give it so you can have that life in you. I'm going to be the lamb sacrificed, but now the blood that is shed is not something you're supposed to avoid. It's something you're supposed to drink. Which didn't settle the issue. And let's now talk about the fourth word, spirit. John 6, 60 through 69. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is our teaching, who can accept it? So the crowd was grumbling, then they moved to sharply arguing. Now it looks like the crowd's not even there. <laughs> and his disciples, those who were closest to him, said, this is a hard saying, who can teach it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? The answer to that question, by the way, was yes. Does this offend you? Then, what if you see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? Now, when you see now the ascension talked about, it should signal to you that something is about to happen, about the, something's about to be, uh, be said about the Spirit being poured out. We're going to celebrate, for the first time in our history, Ascension Day in May. And the reason why is because I want to teach about what the ascension meant. But, but in short... When Jesus ascended to heaven, part of the reality that that triggered was that he then was able to pour his spirit out. Okay? Look at Acts chapter 2 or John chapter 7 as an example if you're wondering about that. But that's when, when he says that he was ascending to heaven, a whole lot about the fact he was ascending was he was ascending so he could, he could give his spirit back. So here's what he says. What's happening? Eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. People are saying, this is crazy. Can't follow this guy. This 4,000 years of teaching just went, you know, just went out the door. And, and Jesus says, is this offend you? Then what if you see the son of man ascend where he was before? The spirit gives life. Capital S spirit, Holy Spirit, spirit. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. Very important to this text. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. Theme now, as Jesus sums up this teaching, the theme now is the Spirit and the theme now is faith. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Let me comment on this for a few minutes, and then we're going to receive communion. How do we eat the bread of life? How do we eat the flesh of Jesus? How do we drink his blood? The answer is actually quite simple. It's by the Spirit. Jesus said to explain to his disciples his teaching, it's the Spirit that gives life, the flesh. The physical understanding of this is nothing. Now, there are some in the Christian family 
who believe that Jesus is referring in this text explicitly to the sacrament of communion, which he'll later institute at the Last Supper. I believe, as do many other uh, scholars, that Jesus is alluding to this, but that it's not his primary meaning. He's talking about something spiritual, not something physical. Now, one reason it's you, you, you might think for you know, both of you who are interested in this level of, of uh, teaching about this, it's interesting to note that when Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the writers of the, what are typically called the synoptic gospels, when they tell the story of the Last Supper or the Passover meal before Jesus died, they explicitly give us the ordinance of drinking wine and eating bread and remembering the body and the blood of Jesus. When John tells that story in John 13, he does not give that ordinance. It appears that this might be where John is saying what needs to be said about this in his gospel. Anyway, you don't have to think about that anymore if you don't want to. But but he, let, let me read you the words of the commentator Gary Burgess in his wonderful commentary on the gospel of John. He writes, most commentators agree that John is at least making a veiled allusion to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper in, in chapter 6. Yet, Jesus finally remarks that the Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The sacrament itself is simply a vehicle to communicate divine life to the worshiper. It is used rightly when Christ is identified and the Spirit is experienced in all His glory and power. The consumption of Jesus, eat His flesh, drink His blood, described so explicitly, springs from the Eucharistic language of the church which Jesus is anticipating, and now it becomes a metaphor for the interior life one should have with Christ. For John, the spiritual life is a life of encounter with Jesus. The apostle provides a critique of sacramental worship that has lost any connection with the life-giving Lord present in the church through the Spirit. So let's just talk about sacraments for a minute. Now I know you're getting interested. It's like, oh, I thought he was done. Nope, not quite. Let's talk about sacraments for a minute. Because I want to explain something, okay, that I think is really, really important. A sacrament, so why am I talking about this? When Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, what did that mean? Was it referring to the, the, the sacrament of communion? Or was it referring to something else of which a sacrament, the sacrament of communion is a part? That's what I believe, and I think that's provable. A sacrament is a physical thing in which God or something of God is seen and which when done in faith, he is present through the Holy Spirit. Okay? Christians, so a sacrament is a physical thing that God is present in when people are doing the sacrament with faith in Jesus and invoking his presence. Okay? Christians disagree on the exact number of sacraments, but all Christians agree on two, the sacrament of baptism and the sacrament of Holy Communion. Many Protestants prefer the term ordinance rather than sacrament because these practices were ordained by Jesus and because some who focus on the sacraments, this is key, believe that God is present in these physical acts regardless of the faith of the person participating. 
I happen to like the word sacrament as long as the focus is on the grace conveyed by God through the physical things as the people doing the physical thing exercise their faith. But if there isn't faith in Jesus in the doing of the physical thing, then the thing is not sacramental. A sacrament mediates, if you please, the presence of God through physicality, but the reason God is present is he's present through his spirit when people believe in Jesus while the thing is happening. Are you confused yet? Give me a few more minutes. I'll really confuse you. No, I think you'll get it. So, for instance, the the sacrament of baptism. A scripture we refer to a lot when we do baptism here at TLCC is Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, which has Paul saying, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, note these words, through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So see, what we teach, and many, many, many teach, this isn't unique to us, is that we we stress the importance of a believer's baptism because we believe that the faith of the person being baptized is what causes God to be present in the baptism and to work his power in the person being baptized. Do you understand? It's faith, if Colossians 2, hopefully still on the screen behind me, it's faith in the working of God that causes God's spirit to be present. See, the flesh profiteth nothing. The spirit gives life. The flesh, what does that mean? Well, uh, the, the, the elements of the water, let's say. You know what? When we baptize people, and this kind of is disappointing to some folks. I'm going to, you know, show you the, they talk about the sausage making here. You don't even, some people even want to know this. They even want to understand this, but you really do so that your focus stays on Jesus, okay? When we baptize people here, we have this rubber tub we put over here. There's nothing sacred about the tub. It's stored someplace right now, and they'll go get it out, and they'll clean it out. It's just a rubber tub. It's not even pretty. I'd prefer it. We had a pretty baptism on our old building. It was really beautiful, but we, didn't have, we couldn't figure out how to do it here. So we had this rubber tub. It's just a rubber tub. Just a rubber tub. When we put water in it, I've never actually seen them put water in it, just to be truthful. But my assumption is they just take a rubber hose and they hook it up to the West Orange water system and they just put water in the rubber tub. I'm going over time, but I think it's... I always want to remind everybody, you can leave whenever you want. Now, you folks online, hang in here with me. No, I'm kidding. It's just water. And at no point, because I say some prayer or stick my finger in it or something, does it become holy water. The whole time we're baptizing, it's just water. And you say, why then, when I got baptized, did I feel the presence of Jesus? And I felt like, Years of weight were lifted off of me, and I felt like a new person. Because when you got baptized, 
and the name of Jesus Christ was called over you. And in that moment, you were focused on Jesus and confessing your faith in him. That's when the Holy Spirit comes and all of a sudden turns normal water into something that mediates the very presence and life of God. The flesh profits nothing. When we receive communion here in a few moments, I know this is especially disappointing to people. It's just, I'm going to hold it and pray over it. I'm going to hand it to our, you know, some of our TLCC leaders. And it's just a wafer. It never becomes anything other than a wafer. It's just a wafer in a little plastic cup. I don't even, I'm not a big fan of these. You know, because we're doing this because of COVID, we, we do it more. I, I'm, I love the sacraments. I love the sacraments. The more we participate in them, the better. And I like to do them kind of special, a little fancier than a lot of churches do. I just do, and we try to do that. But now we're just doing this. And when you open this thing here in a few moments, it's just a wafer. It's grape juice. It's not even wine. I and mean, why do we serve grape juice instead of wine? Because we have a lot of recovering alcoholics, and we want to honor the fact that they shouldn't drink alcohol, and we don't want to introduce that. So, so we have grape juice. All the wine would be fine. I hope you folks at home will get some elements. You're saying, how, how could it be very sacred? I'm sitting here in my living room. I'm going to go find some bread. It's not even unleavened bread. And the pastor's not even going to lay his hands on it and do his thing. And I'm just going to find some grape juice or some, some wine. I didn't drink all of it last night. I'm going to get it. And I'm gonna, how, how, how can this be a holy moment? You know how it's a holy moment? Because when you take bread and wine and you confess your faith in Jesus, his spirit comes and his spirit is present. And that's what takes bread and wine and, you know, one minute it could be, you know, an appetizer in an Italian restaurant. And the next minute it's the flesh and blood of Jesus, not literally in its substance but it becomes the flesh and blood of Jesus, meaning his life, his life shows up in us through his spirit. It's because all the Jesus, what are the works that we should do to be able to connect to you being the bread of life? Jesus said, simply believe. What do we do so waters of baptism become more than H2O, but become that becomes a sacramental moment where God is present? Jesus says, just believe him. What do we do to take a, a cracker and grape juice and, and, and all of a sudden God becomes present in that moment? Jesus says, simply believe in me. Because when you believe in me, physical things become places that are imbued by my spirit. So, so now, let, 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 me, let me finish with this because I think this is important. The sacrament of communion then is not the only way that we eat the flesh and drink the blood of Jesus. Anytime that we are confessing our faith in Jesus and in communion with him, we are receiving his life. We eat his flesh and drink his blood when Jesus is present in our lives through his spirit. We ingest him, if you please, when we read and hear his word. We ingest him when we pray and hear his voice. We ingest him when we worship. Sometimes people wonder, and I understand the question, why don't we receive communion every week? 
we actually receive communion more often than most than many certainly non-denominational kind of Christian churches do because I believe in the value of the sacraments when done in faith so much. But sometimes people say, why don't we receive communion every week? To which I say, we do, but not necessarily through the Lord's Supper. See, we eat his flesh and drink his blood anytime the Spirit brings us life. Anytime the Spirit brings us Jesus. When we're standing here as we were a few moments ago and we're singing that, those songs of worship and you feel His Spirit in the room, guess what? You're eating His flesh. You're drinking His blood. You're receiving His life. See, you can have communion with the Holy Spirit in your life every day. Sometimes we receive communion by celebrating the sacrament. And sometimes we experience the Spirit in other ways. And see, sometimes people will get confused and the focus becomes the physical thing. The only way the physical thing is any good at all is if it's full of the presence of Jesus. And so everything we do, that's always the focus. When we're singing songs of worship, we focus on Jesus, believe in Jesus, and His Spirit is present. When you're sitting at home tomorrow going through your devotional and you're reading the words of Jesus, you remember John 6 said, Jesus said, the words that I give you, they are spirit and they are life. And then you're experiencing the communion of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul said, may the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We receive Jesus in all kinds of ways when we exercise our faith in, the, in Him. Now that doesn't lessen the importance of the Lord's Supper. The more we receive it, the better. And He shows up in these moments. Let me, just a few weeks ago, uh, I had a, a really wonderful man who, who wanted to meet me and talk with me and came to visit with me. His name's Raj. Raj, are you in the room today? Raj, you always sit right here. What's wrong with you guys? Good to see you, Raj. Raj came to talk to me, and Raj has a has a, a really fascinating background, including the fact that in his search for Jesus, he practiced Presbyterianism as a child. He he became a, a, a participant in the Hindu faith for many years. Practiced Roman Catholicism at one point. Here a couple years ago, Charlene, his daughter, talked him into coming to TLCC, kicking and screaming, as I understand it. It's like. I don't know if I want to go to this church. Maybe he didn't say exactly like that. And he shows up, and he can't wait to come back after he comes, and he has a great story. By the way, he's also, he's a, he's a, if you're interested in, in buying an inexpensive car, Raj is one of the top five sales and marketing people for Porsche <laughs> or Porsche in the United States. When he came to visit me, he brought a gift. He brought a little package, and I'm, I'm thinking, there's got to be a key in here, a key in here, a key in here. It was a mug, but anyway, that's okay. I still love you, Raj. <laughs> Check this out. I'm Raj Ramratan Singh. i uh, originally from Trinidad and Tobago a small island off the coast of Venezuela. Grew up in the Presbyterian religion um, and the Hindu faith uh, most of my life. Came to the United States about 27 years ago. Wasn't fulfilling, wasn't fruitful. I think it was just a matter of me going to church and spending an hour and listen to how the priest can tell you how much wrong you did for the week. My daughter requests, you know, she said, why don't you come and 
come to TLCC, see what it is about. He says, okay, fine, you know, hey, I have nothing to do on a Sunday. So came here to the church. First impression was great, very simple, not judgmental, not pointing fingers, not making you feel bad. You know, I wanted to come back. I wanted to, I couldn't wait for the next Sunday to come back. Every time we did communion, my daughter and my son-in-law would get up and they would go and take communion and I would just stand there, you know. I really was, you know, not, not there. That, as I best way to put it. In the Catholic religion, unless you go through the whole covenant and, you know, be baptized and, and, and confirmed and go through the steps, you can't really accept communion. Pastor Smith would always say, you know, I invite everyone who want to accept the Lord, you know, and it's to come and have communion. You know, I'm not, you don't have to be, you don't have to be baptized. You don't have to be this, you don't have to be that. You just have to have an open spirit. You have to be able to say, yes, I want to accept the Lord. A couple months ago when it was communion, you know, he was sitting there and something just pushed me out of the chair and tell me, today is the day. I got up, I went up, I took it. I took communion for the first time. It was an amazing, I felt so amazing after. I felt like something was lifted from me. I felt that something entered into me that has been missing in my life. Um, my hands were shaking when I took it, but when I came back to the chair and I opened it up and I touched the wafer, everything went away. I was, it became like, you know, this is what was meant to be. And when I drank the wine, I felt like something had entered my system, not the wine, of course, but something had entered my system, something that was way beyond my comprehension of what was going on. Um, I walked out of church, I told my daughter, you know, I took communion today. She's like, yes, I saw you took communion. And I was like, I feel so different. She's like, right, you know, now you see what I mean, what I've been telling you. I said, yeah, I felt so different. I felt like, you know, this, this, this is like a new beginning. It felt like something came into me that, that wasn't in there, that, that, that made me, you know, experience life and look at life differently. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Will you stand with me, please? Thank you.